0: So you walk into the middle of a conversation and have no idea what people are talking about at first. You pick up on some keywords and phrases and you determine when you can enter into that conversation. Unless, of course, you're an introvert, in which case you just want to leave that room full of people and go take a hot bath. Or you start a new job and you have to figure out where everything is, who everyone is, and how everything really gets done. It's tough to walk into the middle of something, but we do it all the time. You get oriented, and eventually you are part of what's happening. Well, this year we are going through the book of Acts, and today we're in chapter 11 of 28 total chapters. And we're right in the middle of all kinds of things that are happening. But every part of the Bible is right in the middle of all kinds of things that are happening. There really is not a beginning, middle, and end to the Bible. Remember that the Bible is a collection of books. The word Bible from the Greek and Latin biblia means books. Bibliography is a written list of books that you use in researching a particular topic. The book of Genesis usually comes first in the collection of the books of the Bible, but the book of Genesis was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by Moses, who isn't born until the second book. Of the Bible. The book of Psalms is in the middle of the Bible, but has poetry and prayers that come at various points in time in a wide range of time. The Gospels record the life and ministry of Jesus that was foreshadowed in the Old Testament and that the Gospel writers don't write about until after Jesus' resurrection. And so every book of the Bible, every sentence of the Bible needs to be read and understood in the context of the whole of the Bible. Here we are on Easter Sunday, but Easter Sunday makes no sense apart from Good Friday. But here's the cool thing. You can enter into the Bible conversation at any point. You don't have to start at Genesis. You don't have to start at the beginning of the New Testament. You don't have to start at Acts chapter 1. You can enter the Bible conversation at any point, and from that point, discover the whole. You can start a new job with a company that's been around for 100 years. You can enter into a conversation that's been going on for 10 minutes. And you can start into the book of Acts at chapter 11, especially chapter 11, because these first 18 verses are mostly a repetition and a summary of what happened in chapter 10 which is a key moment in the whole of human history and God's redeeming work in the world. In fact, Acts 11 might be one of the best places to enter into the Bible conversation. And so that we might enter in now, let's pray before we read the word. Oh Lord, we know you as the God of revelation that you have spoken throughout the ages. And the fullness of what you've spoken was written down and has been miraculously preserved so that here we are in the year 2017 and we can hold the whole of your revealed word in our laps, open it on our apps and have access to it like never before. But in order to truly understand and to know what you speak and to hear your voice, we need your Holy Spirit and would pray for that now. For your spirit to come and to bear witness to the reading and to the preaching of your word. To that end, as always, we pray for the preacher, knowing that he is not worthy. But by your grace, he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. And what we read in Acts chapter 11, the first 18 verses, is a repetition again. Luke records it once in the narration of the event itself. And then he records it again when Peter shares his part of it and Cornelius shares his part of it. And then now, here Peter repeats it again to a different group of people. Now certainly, Peter and Cornelius and others would have told over and over again what it was that they had experienced. But why does Luke, the author of the book of Acts, why does he repeat it three times for us to read it? because it's kind of a big deal. Listen now to the word of God from Acts 11, beginning at verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. And right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning." And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance, unto life. From this key passage, I would have you see the criticism, the explanation, and the realization. First, we see the criticism. Good news travels fast, and many times, still today, shocking news travels fast. The other apostles and the other believers throughout Judea, which is Jerusalem in the area south of Jerusalem, had heard the news about the Gentiles receiving the word of God in Samaria, which was the area north of Jerusalem, where the visions and the events of chapter 10 had taken place. But the believers don't greet Peter saying, hey, fantastic news, so great to hear that the Gentiles have received the word of God. No, instead, verse two says, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house, of uncircumcised men and ate with them. For the past 1,400 years, the Jews simply did not fellowship with non-Jews, the Gentiles. They might have business and trade dealings with Gentiles, but Jews did not socialize with Gentiles. And that's what they're really upset about. They don't say, how dare you share the word of God with those Gentiles? They don't say, those Gentiles shouldn't, Become Christians. They knew it would be wrong to say that. What they object to is the fact that Peter went into their house and ate with them. Peter broke kosher, and that's what really bothered them. It's really the same problem that exists in our world today. We're glad to have people join us as long as they're like us or are willing to become like us, because cultures clash I went to a high school that was a quarter mile north of Eight Mile Road, the northern border of Detroit. Our high school was a significant mix of cultures. But for the most part, whites didn't hang out with blacks, Latinos didn't hang out with Asians, Jews didn't hang out with the Chaldeans, and of course there were the regular cliques. Jocks didn't hang out with the band geeks. I was the band geek. And the mean popular girls didn't hang out with the honor students but we all wore the same school colors. The same thing happens in most aspects of our society today, divides that get created in where we eat, shop, live, and hang out. But we all wear the country's colors. And in the world, we regard certain communities and countries differently than others, but we're all human beings. Even Christians, from Honduras, the Sudan, Nigeria, Thailand, Portugal, Japan, get a different approach from Western Christians. And our criticisms are largely based on our cultural prejudices and our personal preferences rather than on biblical criteria. Here is where God calls that out. And so from the criticism, we get the explanation. And notable here is that those who bring the criticism actually allow for an explanation instead of just assuming. And can't we all be guilty of this, where we have a criticism and we're so entrenched in our criticism that we aren't even open to an explanation because we've already prejudged. And notice also that Peter's explanation doesn't start with Peter throwing down. He doesn't say, look, you people, I'm an apostle. Let's not forget that. And if God tells me it's okay, then it's okay. And if you don't like it, there's the door. No, instead, Peter says in verse 4 that Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. He simply explains what happened. And the way Peter explains what had happened is very instructive on how God speaks to us still today. If you want to know how to discern God's will in your life, keep on listening. Many years ago, the wise pastor, Donald Gray Barnhouse, spoke on how to know the will of God, in which he points out that God leads in three ways. And when those three ways line up, you can be pretty sure that God is the one leading you. And Peter speaks to all three of these things. First, Barnhouse said this, You need to be willing to do the will of God before you know what it is. Let me say that one again, because that's a tough one. You need to be willing to do the will of God before you know what it is. And second, God speaks through scripture. God never leads contrary to scripture. So we must read and meditate on God's word to know and understand the truth. And then third, you need to look to God on a regular basis, daily, and at times even hourly in personal prayer and devotions. We continually look to God. And it's on that third point that Peter mentions first. He tells us in verse 5 that it was while he was praying that he received this divine revelation. And receiving the revelation is, in fact, point two. Now, we don't receive extra revelations today Peter received revelations because that was happening in that time. The apostles were receiving what we now call the New Testament. The revelations ended at the end of the apostolic days. And so we now have the fullness of God's revelation. So as we pray and meditate on what God has revealed in the scriptures, with a willingness to do God's will before we know what it is, then we're able to understand God's will for our lives. And Peter recounts the shocking revelation that he received a large sheet being lowered down from heaven, filled with non kosher and kosher animals. It was in this vision, which happened three times, so God made sure Peter got it, that Peter came to understand that all animals were now considered clean. And as we saw last week, this meant the very good news that all God's people could now eat bacon. Because of Jesus, we can eat bacon. Praise Jesus, what do you think? Indeed, everything's better with bacon. And Peter rightly came to understand that God was not just talking about the change of dietary laws. God was now about purifying hearts, not just cuisine. When God said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean, what he's really talking about is people. God was saying that all people, regardless of their ethnicity, social standing, or any physical attribute, all can become clean by the work of Jesus Christ. And so Jews can now associate with Gentiles. And we here are Gentiles. We are made clean by the work of Jesus Christ so that God's people are no longer just the Jews, but Jews and Gentiles who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Everything's better with bacon. The kingdom of God is better with Christians of all nations, tribes, and tongues. But this is not all Peter tells the other apostles and believers. He also tells them about the circumstances that lined up a little too perfectly to be coincidence. At the very moment that Peter had received this vision and he was pondering it, the three men sent by Cornelius from Caesarea arrive at the door at that moment. And the Lord told him to go with the men who then take him back to Caesarea where Cornelius told Peter about the vision that he had received, telling him to invite Peter, whom he had never met, into his house. So Peter had been praying and then had been doing what we today would call a Bible study. And then circumstances fell into place. And that order is important because we typically want to look to our circumstances first to tell us God's will. And as we saw on Monday Thursday, we might even pray about what God wants us to do, but then we look for circumstances that are the path of least resistance. And in the Monday Thursday passage, which was Luke's account of the Lord's Supper, Jesus told his disciples that kingdom building is not the path of least resistance, but would come with trials and suffering. We don't have to look for the trials and trouble, but God's will is not always The easiest path. And so circumstances alone do not tell us God's will. Easy circumstances following self-centered prayer does not tell us God's will. Prayer, with a willingness to do God's will, whatever it may be, Bible study, hearing even shocking things, unexpected things that rub up against our cultural prejudices and personal preferences and then get confirmed by circumstances. This is how God reveals himself to his people today. Now, Peter goes on and not just talk about his revelation or the circumstances, but also gets confirmation from others. Now, the Old Testament standard required that a matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And in verse 12, Peter tells us that he had not two or three, but six witnesses other brothers, six believers that had been traveling with him, six who saw everything. And it is on this point that we take a quick Easter side road that's closely connected to this passage. The testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has many, many eyewitnesses. 1 Corinthians 15 summarizes the eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, people who saw him alive after he had been publicly executed. He appeared to Peter, then to the 12 apostles. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still alive. In other words, don't believe me? Go ask them. Ask anyone. Go ask the women who saw the empty tomb and saw him outside the tomb. Ask James, his brother, who didn't believe until after the resurrection. Ask Thomas, who doubted until he saw him with his own eyes. Ask Frank Morrison, who wrote the classic book, Who Moved the Stone. In this book, he emphasizes the fact that early Christians were preaching the resurrection of Jesus in the very city where the tomb was. People knew where the tomb was, and they knew it was empty. And so if the enemies of Christ, if the skeptics had been able to produce the body of Jesus in those days, they certainly would have. Because nothing would have destroyed Christianity as quickly or as thoroughly as that. But they could not produce the body, and it was a great embarrassment to them. They even tried to suggest that the disciples came and stole the body and they just hadn't been able to find it. And yet the disciples were being imprisoned, tortured, killed based on their testimony of having seen the resurrected Jesus. If the whole thing was a hoax based on a stolen body decaying in someone's house, someone would have given it up. Lee Strobel is the latest to have written a book trying to disprove the resurrection and ended up getting converted in the process, The Case for Christ, which is now a movie. The overwhelming confirmation of the resurrection is just one of the many validations of the truthfulness of the resurrection. Confirmation is also what we look for in discerning God's will for one another. When we consider someone's Uh, calling to pastoral ministry, there are three uh, questions that we ask. First, does that person have an inward sense of call? Second, does that person have the appropriate skill set? And then third, is there an outward call? That is, is there a church that says, yep, that's our guy? But that's not just true for pastors. It's not just true for the calling of elders and deacons. It's true for anyone's vocational calling. What is your inward sense of call? Do you have the skill set including pursuing those skills in training and education, and then can you get a job doing that? Will someone hire you for that? If you have an inward sense of being a plumber, but you're not very good with your hands, or if you think you're called to be a teacher, but you really don't like kids, then you might want to reconsider your calling. You may also have an inward desire and a skill set to sit around all day and do nothing, but you're not going to get hired doing this, although many millennials are trying these days. Just kidding. My generation did it too. So did, so did the generation before me and before them. And so here we see a final confirming word from Peter. His ministry was a success. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Now, to be sure, there is not always that kind of immediate success to what God calls us to do. The road to success is often paved with trials and failure. But in the case of new revelation and a major revelation, as it was here, in which the gospel is opened up not just to the Jews but also to the Gentiles, to the whole world and the eating of bacon, the immediate confirming work of the Holy Spirit was the final piece. And so from criticism... An explanation, we get the realization. Verse 16 is the realization that Peter had about how his revelation connects to what Jesus had previously told them. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here again, we see the value of sharing your explanation with others about what you believe God is calling you to do and the scriptures that you realize connects, and people who can testify that your biblical references are true or not. For example, I might say, I really wanted a donut, and I remember that Jesus said, I am the bread of life, so I bought a dozen donuts. And someone might say, I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Or someone might say, I decided I really wanted to skip class with that cute girl and cheat on that test later, and I remember Jesus saying, be true to yourself, Listen to your heart and do whatever makes you happy. And you can say, yeah, that's not what Jesus ever said, not even close. But here Peter rightly understands the scripture and states his full realization in verse 17. If God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? That's a good point. And that sealed the deal for those who had come with criticism, but listened to the explanation. And their realization is in verse 18. When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. What is especially remarkable about this is that it was not what they had expected, and it was not what they had preferred. But they were convinced. And this is very telling for skeptics still today. Just because it isn't what you expect, and just because it isn't what you prefer, does not mean it is not true. In fact, it probably means that it is. And you need to see past your own cultural prejudices and personal preferences. There comes a point in which the honest skeptic must say, I have no further objections. It may not be my personal preference, but there are no further objections to the revealed truth. And remember, though they did agree, there continued to be what was known as the circumcision group. The issue is going to come up again in chapter 15 and other places that we'll see this struggle There continued to be a struggle with the idea that Gentiles could just be Gentiles. They didn't have to first become Jewish and maintain all the traditions passed down from Moses, because old prejudices die hard. No further objections. Still struggles, because no one is perfect and we're all in process. And so this begs us to ask ourselves, what? What cultural prejudices do we hold on to? What personal preferences do we cling to? The things that Christians fight about are often cultural prejudices or personal preferences. It's the way we've always done it. It's the way I like it. You know the old Presbyterian joke, how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Change? What do you mean change? My grandmother donated that light bulb. What are you talking about? Change. Change. Jesus Christ has come for all the world. Skeptics in our world claim opposition, stating that we should not impose our views on them. But here's the thing, it's not our views. It's not our beliefs. I am sharing beliefs that were shared with me. They're not my natural beliefs. I've come to receive them, but I didn't invent them. I am simply sharing what it is that Peter shared 2,000 years ago and was shared with Peter by the Lord himself. I didn't expect this to be true. I didn't even prefer it. I wanna be in charge of my own universe, but I became convinced of a truth that is outside of me. And the truth is that God created the whole world and he created it perfect. And yet, while he created us to glorify and enjoy him, sin entered into the world and destroyed his perfect creation to a measure. So that every aspect of life and existence were affected by that fall. But God in his goodness didn't just leave us to perish in misery. But in God's goodness, he sent his own son, Jesus the Christ, to live the perfect life that we failed to live. And by his death and resurrection, he has conquered sin and death and opened the way to eternal life and abundant life. By giving us the righteousness that's his and crediting to us. And that good news is extended to all, unconditionally. Anyone and everyone can respond to that good news and say, I have no further objections. It might not be what I expect. It might not be what I prefer. But I cannot argue with its fact. It is true and I have no further objections. All I have is the truth that sets me free. Amen.